I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, Celtics fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Pod. As usual, I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. And as usual, I'm joined by my boy, Mr. Will Weir. We're live on Facebook. If you can't see on Facebook right now, if you're listening in your car or something, can you do want to see our faces? Make sure you head on over to YouTube at Adam Taylor NBA. Hit that like, subscribe. Make sure you leave a nice little comment. And, you know, you can watch us talk. You can watch us do our hand gestures. If comments come on the screen, we'll put them there. They'll look pretty. If not, thank you for listening. I hope everybody's having a good day. Good, uh, good start to the day. Title of this episode is, and I'm saying it because it's funny. Usually I don't say the title, is... So this is what winning feels like, because I forgot, dude. Like there's two two in a row, two wins in a row. It's time to look at some some good points, some silver linings. There haven't been the best wins. We we're just speaking off air. Will uh, the game against Indiana? I branded lullaby basketball. <laughs> hey man, listen. Number one, happy to be here. Happy to be back with you. What up, Facebook? What up to everybody listening on the podcast? Hey man, it's a, a win is a win is a win. You know. Lullaby basketball, you know, like I, we, so we talked about this just to give some context to people listening. Like halfway through the second quarter last night, pretty sure the score is like 30 to 24. And there was a moment where I caught myself and I thought, like, man, did I doze off and miss something? Because it, it, it felt like there was a gap, whether it was the time was wrong, the score was wrong, or I was wrong for falling asleep. But it, you know, it was just kind of the way the game was going. And I, I even tweeted this last night. It felt like at times, uh, just listening to Mike Gorman on the call, that he he really didn't know what to make of that game last night. Like even he was kind of struggling. You know, Celtics voice, the voice of our our generation of multiple generations. It felt like for him, he was even struggling to get through that game. So, you know, at the end of the day, there's too many games like last night that have gotten away from this team, and to their credit, they found a way. They found a way, which sometimes in those ugly ugly games, that's all that matters. So this is the thing, right? First of all, what up, Chris Draper? Uh, leaving a message on Facebook saying, pretty ugly win, not going to lie. Yo, you don't know, man, it was bad. <laughs> he definitely ain't lying. So um, I remember clicking into the game, and uh, I saw the length of time. So I didn't know the score, but I saw that this game went on longer than normal. And in my head, I'm playing that Kevin Hart moment. You know, when he's on stage, I was like, oh, now, 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 you know that bit? No, no. Just like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Yeah, and I'm like, I know what this means. Like, I know that it means that either Smut went really good and the team surged back or Smut went really bad and Boston had to really claw for whatever the result was going to be. And, man, there was times in it, I was just like, dude, what is happening here, man? Like you said, midway through the second, neither teams broke 40. Tatum shooting bad from three. It was just a rough watch. But you know what? And I tweeted this out earlier today as well. At the end of the day, games like that are the games that Boston have been dropping. Winnable games that ended up that you know began as a dogfight, and mm-hmm. it ended the same way. But Boston found a way to kind of claw and scratch their way to victory. You got to take a little a little hat tip there because those games are the hardest ones to win, especially when you've lost so many of them. What was this now? Three and eleven is it now? Where the game's been under five points or something? Yeah, stupid. it's three and eleven. It was yeah. And, and the funny <laughs> part was Indiana has the same record in, in close games. So they were both teams were were, were two and eleven last night going into going into that final couple of minutes in these in these tight games. So you know, to your point, like we said, you, you just got to get them. 
And really, you know, I mean, the best players eventually, you know, stood up and and were the ones that were the real difference makers, talking about Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Robert Williams, who we'll talk all about here in in just a little bit. And, you know, every team is going to have those nights regardless of of talent you see it across the league like you know the the difference between these teams even though their talent levels are are can be enormous at times which last night indiana was pretty much missing their entire backcourt you know they they can be valleys doesn't mean that you know there's still nba talent that's on the court so you got to show up and you got to go ahead and get it done and took a little while but the stars and the talent that the Celtics had on their end, you know, eventually they stood up, they got it done, and it's a win. You know what I mean? doesn't matter how it happened. That 19 turned into a 20, and at the end of the day, that's the most important part of the game. Yeah, I mean, look, man, I see a lot of people like, oh, they beat, you know, they beat a team with guys on 10 days. They beat a team with guys that were playing in Europe a week ago. In my opinion, I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, I can't yeah. argue. You, you're stating facts. But at the same time, these are the teams that are really going to come at you because the guys that are on those 10 days, the guys that have been in Europe their entire career, they've got nothing to lose. They're playing with house money right now, trying to earn a long-term contract. So they're going to come at you with everything they've got. And I think that, that sometimes that can be a really hard thing to deal with because the scouting report's quite minimal. Don't really know what these guys' tendencies are. And then that one dude, I forget his name, but he was rapid, man. That one guard, the one that... Keep us other than <laughs> no, it's Keeper Sykes, but but all last night I really wanted to make a Keeper Sutherland joke from twenty four. Yeah, he like, was like, you know, he was rapid, dude. He was finishing. He he was getting into guys. And so like that said, was, he was he was playing with no regard. You know, he's. he's yeah, I've never heard of Keeper Sykes that. until until last night. You know, he wants other people to know his name. Maybe he wants people to know, like, hey, even if I don't stick in Indiana, I'm gonna stick somewhere in this league, and I'm gonna show you what I can do. So, you know, when those guys come around, sometimes those are the most dangerous guys to play against. Yeah, it's tough, man. It really is tough. And I mean, we'll start with Rob Williams, man, because, you know, you should start with the best and then work your way down. I think that Rob Williams, when it comes to, you know, dealing with guys that are tough to play against, you can play as hard as you want. You can play with as much disregard for your opponent as you want. You can't play hard on Rob Williams. He's too talented. He's not even trying, dude. He's just he's just stretching an arm out. And it's going across the floor, man. Like, um, I wrote about him today, to, to be fair. I don't know if anyone read it. If you didn't read it, you should do because... I'll put words on the screen and then it's good. I read it. It's very good. I appreciate it. And that's where I wanted to start, man. Like the dude had, uh, what was it? Four steals, six deflections, 16 shot contests, hustle stats galore, man. I mean, I worked it out and I put it in the article. If you look at it this way, an average NBA game has a hundred possessions. Now granted this game would have had more theoretically because it was an overtime game. yeah. Yeah. But Let's just base it on 100 possessions. Rob Williams, at a bare minimum, impacted at least, let's say, 17% of Mm -hmm. all of Indiana's offense. That's not while he was on the floor. That was overall offense. Robert Williams altered or impacted 17% at a minimum of what the Pacers were trying to do. Now, you can tell me that Sabonis is good or he's like a fantastic, you know, if Sabonis is good, but... Sabonis didn't have that level of impact, and this is the difference. I think that Sabonis is the more skilled player, but I think Rob Williams, with his athleticism, his his ability to get up and down the floor quickly, he's the more impactful player. And right now, what the Celtics need is very highly impactful players. Rob Williams has been the best player on this team for a while in terms of impact. Yeah, I mean he's he's the ceiling raiser. You know, he he's the one that you know, regardless of of what happens with some of the other 
other pieces on this team. He's the one that can take this to the next level with his improvements, with his level of play, with, you know, with his engagement. And last night he was awesome. And, you know, to push back a little bit, I wouldn't even really compare like him versus Sabonis. For me, it was look at Miles Turner on the other side. You look at the guy that's number one in the league in shot blocks versus the guy who's number three. Rob Williams is, is number three, and we hear Miles Turner name bantied about in, in trade rumors for essentially the last three years. So I don't that maybe that tells you something about his trade value. But also we've heard him on fringe, you know, all-star teams at different times. Now, whether or not that's merited, it's it's you can look it up. You can type in Miles Turner All-Star, and you're gonna get a couple of results of people talking about his case to be an all-star, whether or not I I disagree, which I do, but you know, Miles Turner's been in those convos, and I mean, let's be real. There's no question between the two of them last night who had the bigger impact on this game. Miles Turner played half the minutes. In fact, he was basically benched at a certain point in the game, which is crazy when you think about, like I mentioned, they're missing their entire guard rotation. So you figure they're going to lean into to one of their, I don't want to call him a star, but one of their main rotation players. And Rob's impact versus Miles Turner's impact in that game was miles and miles of difference. Pun, someone. See what you did there? I yeah, you, did there. you got me, my boy. My boy got me. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Rob over these last, you know, last eight games or so has been just on a different level. His, you know, the Celtics play itself has been kind of, you know, up and down and, and you know, we'll, we'll talk more about that, but there's no doubt. So here's just Rob's numbers over the last eight games that we've been looking at. He's right around 11 rebounds, three and a half assists, steal per game, 3.6 blocks per game to go with just over 11, almost 11 and a half points on about 78% shooting. Rob has been providing this team with so much more over the last month or so with his play that, you know, if he keeps this up and he stays healthy, which is always kind of the caveat with, with Rob Williams, it, it's going to be tough to, to move him. And I know he's a guy that ends up getting talked about in trades and that's, that's partially because there's not much else to move outside of the Jays. But I mean, it's, it's really tough, and especially with the contract that he signed in the off season for that extension, that could be one of the biggest bargains in the league. And I mean, this is why I compared him to Sabonis rather than to Turner, because I do think that, you know, while Miles Turner probably plays a, a, a closer position in terms of role to yeah. Rob, Rob Williams does, in terms of skill level, I feel like Rob's closer to Sabonis than he is to Miles Turner. That's right. I think the only thing Miles Turner's got over him is an ability to stretch the floor and shoot threes. I think that Rob's uh, probably more athletic. I think, he's, uh, I think his basketball IQ is higher. Mm-hmm. I think he's a better screener, a better rebounder. Uh, I, I just don't think Miles Turner, long term, if you like, if you look at their career trajectories and their developmental trajectories, Rob Williams ends up closer to Sabonis than he does Miles Turner, and that's kind of why I've done that um, that comparison. But yeah. I, I definitely see what you're saying too, and I think that what you you make a good point, and uh, I know that we've been talking about this in the Celtics Legends chat a little bit. Do, are you happy that when the Gordon Hayward stuff was going on and, you know, the rumors were going on around Miles Turner and Doug McBuckets for Gordon Hayward, are you happy that didn't come to fruition? Uh, no, to be honest. I mean, I, I still think, and, and this is this is all speculative because I, I don't know the timeline of, of, did he always have that Charlotte offer in his back pocket? Yeah. You know, so th- that makes it tough. But let's just take that off the table and let's say that, you know, that, that was a last minute thing that, potentially let's say Danny Inch could have pulled the trigger on Miles Turner and Doug McDermott for Gordon Hayward and at least not lose that asset, you know, because I think that's the biggest thing with the Celtics and their roster construction at this point is that they've lost so many large level assets for nothing. 
or for diminishing returns and have kind of put us into into the place where we're at now. And so if you add Miles Turner, you know, I mean, that means most likely the the Kemba for Al Horford deal never goes down. And so really, you're just still looking at Turner and Lob Williams. And, you know, I think I, I think having that as your front court is, is, is pretty darn good. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. think that hurts you. And then Doug McDermott, he would have been on an expiring last year, but, you know, maybe he resigns at a you know, three-year mid-level rate or something if it goes well. And he feels a, a need that we've been talking about for, what, three years, four years about a guy that, no, that can be a shooter, that can give you actual true gravity, that can, you know, catch off the you – know, can, can catch and shoot and kind of catch, you know, off of movement, catch and shoot off of movement. So I, I think for me that that was a move that absolutely – if it was available, should have been made. And I think Miles and Turner and Rob Williams could coexist on the same team on the same floor at the same time. Maybe not, but I think on the same team, there's no reason they couldn't have. But then you do get into that theoretical debate of does Turner being there stunt Robert Williams? Growth? That was going to be more pushback. I, yeah. And I mean, we don't, I don't think we know the answer to that. It's possible, but I also think it's possible the other way that it doesn't stunt it. And now you just have the minutes that you're going for Horford and Williams, you're doing Turner and Williams. And I think they both would be able to provide, you know, unique looks to what this team could have been yeah and that's fair that's fair i think that for me the reason i'm not too salty about it mm -hmm. is because i genuinely think that while turner would work well for the team as constructed now i think there's been a couple of years where rob williams is just a trade chip at that point if you have turner you know what i mean i just don't mm -hmm. think you see the development from rob and and as i said in my opinion career trajectory now sees Rob becoming a, a far more impactful player than what Turner is. I don't like using the word better player because we're talking about NBA guys. Yeah. Unless we're talking about Dennis Schroeder, then there's a lot of better players. <laughs> He's um, coming up. Stay tuned, folks. <laughs> uh, we got Chris again saying, we could have had the Twin Towers had this trade happen. We could have, but it wouldn't have made a difference when you come up against Cleveland with their trio of towers. That's the only downfall yeah. there. They could play and, a whole um, lineup of towers. Yeah, Cleveland out here playing checkers while everybody else playing chess, man. Barry Markin and Evan Mobley, Jarrett Allen. That's some, that's tough, dude. You forgot, what, Kate, did you put K-Love in there too? <laughs> oh, man, off the bench, dude. Oh, man. He's actually having a great year despite despite he, his he's, bloated contract. He's having, he's having a good year. He's, he's doing what I think a lot of people – hate to acknowledge because they'll just point to the contract and at a certain point you can't change the contract it is what it is but if you can then turn him into something that's that's valuable to your team that's still a, like i mean and i think al horford was this up to a certain point and he still can be i just think he's he's hit kind of a you know an iffy stretch here but you know it's um you know it, it's sorry my aunt threw it off hey what's up on helen uh <laughs> hey, aunt helen. <laughs> that threw me off for sure um, but you know, but I think Kevin Love to that point, you know, not going to live up to the contract, but is still a very valuable asset for the for the Cavs right now. Yeah, and I mean, I'm Dan. Like, I'm completely Dan. I think that, like, I'm Dan with Kevin Love. But I do have people hit me up. You threw me up a little bit too. I do have people hit me up sometimes. Like, uh, hey, what do you think the Celtics would need to do to get Kevin Love? And I'm like, we don't want Kevin Love on this team because he doesn't fit what you're trying to do. I, I mean, I I would say. I mean, first of all, the only path would be an Al Horford trade, which I don't know why the why the Cavs would would do that. But I would push back a little bit, just in the sense that if, if like if so, you tell me right now, if you just if if say that trade could happen, it's Al Horford and Wancho, and and we get get back Kevin Love. Let's just say that's the hypothetical trade. You don't think Kevin Love could could fit into this team as you know just taking Al Horford's minutes, being someone that 
absolutely brings a little bit of gravity to this team, is a good rebounder, you know, great outlet passer, you know, not probably the same level of passer as uh, as Al Horford in the well, pushes in the, the, in, the in, outlet passer. Yeah. And then, of course, defensively, it would be it would be, you know, a, a bit of a letdown. But I think he could work. I just think the movement there would be bad. Like Al Horford's quite happy to play off ball, set off ball screens, like, you know, um, encourage movement. And that's what Odoka's trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like he wants everybody moving around. I think that with with Kevin Love, he's going to be far more stationary. I don't think he's he's going to be setting more off ball screens. I don't think he's going to be relocating from the top of the perimeter down to the corner and then cutting baseline and going up to the upper, the weak side wing and where, where Al Horford will. He doesn't do it consistently because, mm-hmm. you know, he's old. <laughs> but he, he he will make those those cuts from time to time. And then the, the other thing is as well, I just don't know whether Udoka would give Love enough minutes to be impactful due to that defensive downside. Yeah. All you gotta do to, you know what I mean? And I, this is where I don't think he'll fit what Boston are doing simply because we've seen that with Udoka, if you don't fit exactly what his vision for this team is, he's gonna marginalize your impact, he's gonna marginalize your role. And, and then it's kind of like tough. And I'd much rather Al Horford, who hits a 50% guarantee next season, yeah. than a Kevin Love that's going to cost fully you guaranteed. The, yeah, that's the yeah, that part. there's a little bit of difference in that for sure. And I will say, you know, to that point of of, of Ime being, you know, reluctant to to play someone that that may not, you know, give you the same impact on the defensive side. We did see Peyton Pritchard start to come on a little bit, and then obviously health and safety knocked him out. Just saw right before we started recording, he's upgraded to questionable. For the when for tonight's game, or what will be tonight's game, if you're listening on the podcast tomorrow's game, if you're listening on Facebook, and so he's out of health and safety. So as we see, and we're going to talk here about Ime having you know changing a little bit of, of his rotation here, where he's cut down over these last two games on those Dennis Schroeder minutes, and has shown the ability to mix and match a little bit more outside of his comfort zone, which we've only been begging for for a couple of couple of weeks maybe months maybe years at this point I don't know I can't I can't I can't quite keep up with it anymore but you know I think that will be indicative where you know if Peyton Pritchard healthy now will get an opportunity to actually get some real minutes not just garbage time minutes with this team closer to full strength and that will maybe give you an indication of if a guy like Kevin Love if that for whatever reason somehow became available or a similar player that's leans more offense than defense if he would be open to giving them a shot within the rotation to make it to make a move like that have any type of real impact. Yeah, I mean with Peyton Pritchard though, he's playing in a position of serious need. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's gonna his job's gonna be to keep the floor stretched and to use that gravity to initiate for other people. He's gonna be tasked with, you know, penetrating and kicking, penetrating and kicking. So while his defensive upside is limited because of his size, his offensive upside fits directly into what Udoka is trying to do. And then the question becomes, can, is what Kevin Love does, does it fit in enough with the offense to offset some of the defense? And, and that's the question. Like, Is he mobile enough to play this brand of basketball? You know, And I say this brand of basketball like we're seeing it consistently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen it once. We've seen it once twice. every four games. <laughs> yeah, you see it again, we've seen it against Phoenix. 
And then we saw it against New York in game two. Yeah. I, I can't recall. There's probably one more game for uh, Milwaukee Miami. a couple of weeks ago. Miami, yeah, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Miami. That's, I mean, there's, there's like games. five games. You can, you get yeah. five to seven games you can pick out and be like, hey, this is who we want to identify as. We yeah. don't, but this is who we want to identify. But then I'm like, every move you make should put you closer to generating that identity, you know? Yeah. And I, that's where I'm kind of like, because, look, man, Kevin Love, as Chris said when it was on the screen, you're bringing in a vet with championship experience, but at the same time, it's not like Kevin Love is a good vet. This is the same Kevin Love that was, you know, having straps um, a year or two ago, a temper tantrums. tantrums. Yeah. Yeah. Just he, like, he's nope. shown, shown signs of change in this year, though, Adam. I mean, like, he, he has, has accepted that reserve role. And I mean, I think being on a, I think him seeing that the team, was going to be more successful this year, probably yeah. influenced so it. Has he actually changed or has the team I just got know. better? Do you see what I I'm saying? I don't know, yeah. I mean, and that's for Cleveland to worry about. That's none of our problems. <laughs> you know, we've got our own problems. <laughs> One of them being Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, let's talk what about do, him. You Your know, boy. I mean, it's not my way, yeah. Look, man, <laughs> I, I, the thing is, I talk about Dennis Schroeder like I've got beef and I don't. I think he's a very good player. I think um, I think he's an impactful player, but I don't think he, again, he doesn't fit what Udoka's trying to do. If you go back to the New York game and rewatch, just rewatch Schroeder's minutes. And you talking about the first one or the second one? Second one, sorry. Second one, okay. Watch, rewatch Schroeder's minutes and watch how the offense turns from fluid to stagnant and everything kind of sticks in his hand a little bit too much. I was looking at some numbers earlier today. On average, Dennis Schroeder holds the ball for five seconds on a possession. That's an that's long, dude, and that's on an average. That means there's possessions where he's holding it 10, 11. You know, yeah. obviously they're going to be outliers, but he's averaging like four point six dribbles. I'm just like, yo, this is meant to be a read and react five out, naught point five second offense. If it's a naught point five second offense, and you're holding the ball for five seconds, you are not living up to your end of the deal with what the coaching staff are asking you to do. Uh, I just feel like there's a bit, I'm at the point now where I'm like, yo, trading him away could be an addition by subtraction. And trading him away helps you add some draft assets back into your war chest so you can eventually, further down the line, if you choose to, go big game hunting. So before we get to the trade aspect of it, because that's that's where ultimately, I mean, we're, we're recording this roughly about almost exactly a month from the trade deadline. I think that's where the Dennis... Schroeder story is going for the Celtics and we'll we'll get yeah. there in a second. I think with him presently as constituted on the team, you know, we've talked a lot about the roster construction. In, in my opinion, there's, you know, if we look at this year over last year, it's it's heavily improved from a skill standpoint. It's 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 the fit standpoint that we're we're really trying trying to work on at this point. And I think you're right that Dennis doesn't necessarily fit that, but with his skill set, I still think I still think that there's there's value to it. It's been the way that it's been utilized to this point. And I yeah. think looking back over these last three games, you get like a, a really nice synopsis of of ways that it could work. Now he's gonna have to play a role in the way that it looks like it may be adjusting, as we've seen over the last two games, where you look at the first Knicks game. And I think if you chop off the last about four to five minutes that he played, that's like the perfect Dennis game. He had like 20 points, you know four rebounds, three assists, whatever it was, only one or two turnovers, and he applied pressure to the rim. He hit a couple of shots. He helped balance out the scoring load so that it didn't all fall to, to the Jays, and we had like a third scoring option that, that we could count on. You take out those last five minutes when that's just not the closing lineup that we need to go to, and we don't need to go into that conversation anymore. Like, that's the part that you need to get rid of. Over the last two games, Ime has not played him with Marcus Smart. 
Finally, thank God, light bulbs, celebrations, flares, whatever you want to do. Thank God that's finally looking like that could be a thing that Ime is going to go away from. Hasn't played them together, has kind of structured his minutes a little bit more, has brought down his minutes. And even when Marcus Smart went out with an injury against the Pacers the other night, he didn't bring back Schroeder. I thought he was going to lean heavily into Schroeder. He brought in Richardson. And, you know, to Ime's credit, we, we, we've, 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 you know, criticized him quite a bit on this show. And I think rightfully right. so. I don't, I don't, I don't think we've That's been right. unfair on it. But, I, but I'm also going to give him his credit. I'm also going to give him his credit that he did not go back to his safety blanket in, you know, Dennis Schroeder. And he went for the size, went with Josh Richardson. You know, I think let Tatum handle the ball. I know he had a lot of turnovers last night, but, you know, that turns into growth. And then, you know, we got the win. If we didn't get the win, I'm sure that would be heavily criticized a little bit more than even it already is. But you got the win, and it's a growing experience to have him with the ball in his hands at the end of a game with a lineup that makes a lot more sense without Dennis Schroeder, you know, regardless if Marcus Smart's able to play or not. And so I think in a more condensed role, and I heard you and Greg talk about this, you know, ideally Schroeder's probably somewhere in that 18 to 22 minutes a game. That's probably the sweet spot of what you want from Dennis Schroeder. And he's putting rim pressure and he's, he's getting you some extra points that, you know, helping to balance your offense. Those are the main things that you're going to want from Dennis Schroeder. And if you can, if you can compartmentalize his role to that, I think Ime can, you can certainly weaponize it, but it has to be contained. And then it's how much is he going to be willing to do that? Cause he obviously seems to like to play more, wants to yeah. play more, wants to increase his value. So that's where it starts to become that maybe Stevens needs to step in at a certain point. And I think eventually we'll see the Schroeder story end sometime in the next month. So like, I completely get what you're saying. And like, I agree to an extent, <clears throat> you know, you're going to have an impactful guard that can come off the bench, run the high pick and roll, get to the rim, pressure the rim, hit guys with kickouts, all the good stuff, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. But then you also have a guy that doesn't pass the ball really, doesn't like to not be the, <clears throat> doesn't like to not be the guy that's running the offense, doesn't like to be the guy that's not really in control of mm-hmm. the flow of the game how much higher is his value going to go? You know what I mean? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. Like it, where he is now, how much higher can you raise that ceiling of, of value on a guy that expires at the end of the season and most teams around the league that acquire him are probably not going to be able to afford to keep him. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So when I'm like, oh, you want to stop that war chest so you can go big game hunting in the future, I'm not saying the picks you get back for Dennis Schroeder are going to allow you to go big game hunting. But it's a start, right? You can start adding adding things into that chest. And I think that if you know Schroeder isn't going to get any more valuable than what he is now in terms of a trade, and if you're being honest with yourself and you're like, yeah, he could be useful if we had a deep playoff run, but then you really take stock of what's gone on all season and be like, even if we get to the playoffs, we're probably not going to have home court advantage. The East yeah. is deep. Are we really, realistically, are we going to have a deep run? If, if, if you're being honest and you're like, probably not, then you then you trade him away, you put a couple of second rounders in the war chest, and then you wait for the next deal to come along and see what picks you can take with that. Because eventually there's going to be a team that de- decides that they're blowing stuff up, and you can go there with like a handful of picks as long as with a Neesmith and a Romeo and whoever. And I just mm-hmm. think that's the best option. 
do I like Dennis Schroeder as a player? Not really. <laughs> like, not for Boston. Yeah. Do I think that he has value on this team? Definitely. And I think he's rebuilt a ton of value since coming here because there have been games where he's, you know, single-handedly pushed the Celtics back in or single-handedly gave them the lead. However, we're getting to a point now where it feels like he's single-handedly slowing down the offense. He's bogging it down. And to that instance, I'm like, yo, I'd much rather have the draft picks. Yeah, and we also talked about briefly, you know, Peyton Pritchard coming on a little bit, you know, over the like during all this health and safety, and so I'd rather get him some more minutes. If I'm being, if I'm just being straight up honest, yeah, for with, sure. With who I'd rather see get some minutes, and I think with Dennis Schroeder at this point, and you know, I will be very surprised if this doesn't happen. It feels like a waiting game to me at this point, because I think right now, if the Celtics were were to move on from him, two second rounders is is highly likely and probably something they could get from from multiple teams. I think for the Celtics, it's more of a waiting game with a month before the trade deadline to see what else happens around the league. You look at a team like Cleveland with the Rubio injury. They went and traded for Rondo. I don't think that's their final move. I'm I'm not sure how much Rondo has left in the tank. Maybe they need another backup guard. Maybe they need a little bit more scoring to offset the loss of Colin Sexton. Maybe they're desperate enough that they want to get out of not being in the playoffs and think that they can make a run that gives their valuable youth some, you know, some playoff experience and Schroeder mm-hmm. might help them get one extra series. Maybe that's worth a protected first round pick. You know, I don't know if it's them, but I think that's what the Celtics are kind of holding on to at this point, or should be, in my opinion, is that over the next month, you know, I, I think getting, like I said, getting two seconds for Schroeder, I feel like they could probably do that now. But I think for, for them, the hope is the landscape changes, moves are made, you know, if there's an injury here, where can we capitalize? And maybe somebody gets frisky enough that they're willing to part with a first round pick. And that's, I think that's, I think that's got to be the ultimate goal for Dennis Schroeder is can we sneak a late first round pick or a heavily protected first round pick that we can add into our future assets collection for later? I feel like that has to be the goal. And that, that's where I'd like to see the, the, the Celtics go with the future of Dennis Schroeder here over the next month. I mean, I said this at the beginning of the season when they traded for Dennis. The best thing that Brad Stevens can do, or not the best thing, but the most logical thing, in my opinion, is to dangle guys like Schroeder, dangle guys like Richardson. At the time I said this, I'm more leaning towards Keith Richardson now, but you know, to be to be true to what I said at the time, it was get and, and be that third team, be the team that facilitates deals. Be the team that gives away one year, you know, expiring contracts to help salary match here and there. To, and, and then in return, do a Cleveland and bring yes, in that's what say. Be the, be the Cavs and go get an all-star yeah. center for just hanging around. I still yeah, can't believe the Rockets messed that up. But and I think, that's one, I think that's one of the reasons Brad Stevens is so big on having that flexibility. Yep. Because when you have that type of flexibility, you can facilitate deals and get rewarded for doing so quite handsomely so yeah. you know and and that's another reason why i'm like even if you don't do that with schroeder and you pick up a couple of second round picks you can become a third team in another deal send out a young guy or two or do whatever and sweeten the pot with those picks further down the line it yeah. doesn't always have to be a straight one for one you know who's another great guy for the scenario who yeah. wancho this is 100 percent why wancho's on this team Oh yeah, Wancho, sure. Wancho is that contract exactly for the reasons that you just that you just laid out, where someone's like, "Man, we we need another six and a half mil to make this work." All right, we got just call us up. We got Wancho. We got TPEs. We'll give us give us two second round picks. Give us a sweetener. Give us you know if we're ever somehow lucky enough to be the Cleveland Cavaliers, give us a Jared Allen. You know that's a hundred percent with the Wancho contract. So anyone that's wondering. Why do we have Wancho and he's just <laughs> not playing? That's exactly why we have Wancho. 
Yeah, and I think that you know those deals are rare and they uh, they don't come around too often. But you always want to be in a position if you're not a contender that this is. If you if you're in that like you know not at the bottom but like that middle of the road just outside of purgatory one way or another type of team, having the flexibility to get involved in those deals and, and kind of bite on the opportunity is super important. And that, that leads me to another young guy that I think the Celtics really need to rebuild some value with because he could be another guy that would be a sweetener in a deal. And that would be Neesmith. Um, they sent him down to Maine. I don't know if you watched that game. I ended up watching the, uh, the Red Claws. I got Claw. a couple of highlights. I didn't, I didn't see yeah. the full thing. I, I saw the final stat line and everything. Yeah, They're the still the Red Celtics. Claws, man. Yeah, I, 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 I like them being the Red Claws. I, I vote for Maine Red Claws over Celtics. So he looked good, man. He was shooting off the move. He looked good. He had a few assists. Uh, I think it was like nine rebounds, five assists mm-hmm. or something. The only downside was the ball was in his hand quite a bit, and he made a couple of bad mistakes because of it. You know, turnovers here and there, a couple of errant passes. Some of it was more like he was out of control, which is, you know, his nickname's Crash for a reason, right? Yeah. But what encouraged me was like, I was like, man, the Celtics are finally doing something to develop this dude. He's not getting minutes in Boston. We don't know when he's going to get minutes in Boston. So send him down to the G League and let him develop. Let him play. Let him rebuild his confidence down there, scoring on a bunch of dudes that, you know, just don't have the level of experience he does. I mean, this is a this is a guy that was was playing against the Brooklyn Nets in the playoffs last season. People forget that. Yeah. That Neesmith was like, you know, a consistent role player on that team against the Nets. And now he can't sniff any minutes. So playing in Maine's a good idea. And then hopefully you can give him a bit of a platform at some point in the season. Let him rebuild some value. Again, it's going to need to be soon if you want to do it for the trade deadline. But he's just another guy I'm like, if you're not going to play him, try and flip him for somebody you're actually going to play, dude. Mm-hmm. Because it, there's not, it's not benefiting Boston. It's not benefiting Neesmith. It's not benefiting anyone for him to just fester and not reach that potential. I think um, uh, it's one of the more frustrating things for me. And then again, uh, I have another one that I want to touch on after, and that's why isn't Romeo playing? Yeah, let, let's stick with Neesmith just just for a second here, because I was I was happy to see, and it's funny because there was kind of a mixed reaction of people uh, on Twitter when that news came out, like, "Oh my God, this couldn't be, you know, a worse reflection on on Aaron Neesmith. He's being sent down to the G League." It was like, "No, this is this is what he should have been doing," you know. And I don't know if there was, you know, some COVID type, you know, rules that were preventing this because of testing and all that, depending on you know the, where we're what what part of the last two years we're talking about. But this is what he needs, man. He needs those shots. He needs those repetitions. And I know you went through some of his stat line. I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, one of the stat lines that kind of stuck out to me was that the three-point shooting in that game wasn't great. Granted, it's 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 one game. He had a lot of movement off the dribble, a lot of shots in the lane that he got that, that he was able to connect on. Um, but it's really that three-point shot from an NBA skill, um, you know, NBA skill-wise that, that, he, that we're looking at him to develop to really help this team, both in the short-term and long-term. And, you know, he even talked about his shot not being, when he came back, his shot not being where it needs to be. But it's going to take those repetitions. It's going to take game repetitions. And even if that's the G League over, you know, over actual NBA games for now, I think that's still better than just the reps he's getting in practice or in the gym, you know, with, with, with the team. So I like the idea of him spending a little bit of time in Maine here. Like, to your point, I don't think that it's it's really he's really going to have too much of an impact trade deadline wise this year. I think it's more what else can he do rest of this year because he came on real strong second half. Second half, yeah, yeah. He, he was. I mean, that's why going into the season, you know, we've talked about the taking Rob out of it, like the young four: Grant, Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith, and um, 
and Romeo. And going into the season, I fully expected Peyton Pritchard and, and Neesmith to be the ones that have the biggest impact on the season. And thus far, it's been Grant and Romeo. So I definitely had some high expectations. You know, you and Greg were, were wanting, were even calling for him to start the season. Yeah, I still starting, think that would have been a in good the starting In the starting lineup. And, you know, and for me, I was thinking that that was my ideal scenario for the end of the season, <clears> that he plays yeah, his way in having that discussion. And, uh, and, you know, it just, it just hasn't been that. So I think for him, the key is just getting more reps. We've talked about shooters needing a rhythm. That's definitely where Aaron needs, but I think he needs a little bit of confidence too, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, that's where this is where the G League comes into it, right? The confidence. And you're probably right. It's not going to be around the trade deadline. Maybe it'll be towards the summer. You know, if he has a good second half of the season, plays well, you can start trying to make a move in the summer. He went 2-7 in that game for the for, for the two Celtics. 2-7, okay. Yeah, for the main Celtics. And as Chris says, are the Celtics ever good at shooting from three? Unfortunately, no. Not, re- not recently. <laughs> Um, but there again, like I'm like, yo, there's a, there's a player there in Neesmith where I'm like, we talk about Doug McDermott as a movement shooter and somebody that can really hit the shot, hit the free ball on the move. That was Neesmith's game. Yeah. And I think that it, once his confidence is there, maybe it can be his game again. But Udoka's got to be willing to let him let it fly. Do you know what I mean? And then, like like I said before we got into Neesmith, I feel like Romeo's all of a sudden fell down the, uh, fell down the, uh, the pecking order, shall we say. And Romeo gives you defense, but I feel like maybe he doesn't feel like Romeo's shooting is at a level that's going to give you the spacing that you need. Like it, yeah. It's weird. I mean, like, I mean his shooting has fallen off quite a bit it has. It from, has. from the beginning of the season. So I think yeah. that part is fair, but it's interesting. You know, we, we gave Ime uh, some credit for, for balancing some of those smart Schroeder minutes. And I think, you know, not necessarily the Pacers game, but the Knicks game right before that, you know, he learned to, like, I, I think one of the things that's really tough for me is his minutes distribution on a night-to-night basis. Isn't great. Yeah, and there's too many times where, like, hey, I wonder if some of the reasons that our fourth quarters are so bad is that we're relying on five to six guys that are all playing thirty around 35 minutes, and they're just getting a little gas towards the end that they don't have the proper, you know, the proper breaks where you're squeezing in five to ten minutes of development for guys like Neesmith, Romeo, you know, like th- those aren't necessarily, those can't be a bad thing because they're also, you know, while you're developing one, you know, some one one part of your roster, you're getting rest for, you know, your stars to be able to be at their best at the end of the game. And so last night, referring to the Pacers game, it was a little bit more of that imbalance with some pretty heavy minutes. Smart goes down late in the game with that thigh contusion, which throws it off a little bit, but it, it still makes you think back to earlier parts in the game, like, if you could have gotten, you know, some guys like like Romeo who caught a DNP, like if you got him a few extra minutes, maybe Josh Richardson isn't playing 37, who I thought he had a pretty up and down game yeah. against the Pacers. Like maybe he only needs to play 30 and those seven go to Romeo. And maybe only, you know, maybe Tatum or Brown get a few extra minutes and you get to 12 or 13 minutes for, for Romeo. And I mean, I think, I think that's entirely reasonable. And even with some of his struggles where his, his shooting hasn't kept up, I still think there's ways that that Ime needs to work him and work Neesmith in, and when Pritchard gets back, like even if you don't think that they're going to close that game, they're not going to be those guys in the in the fourth quarter. You need to get those that are going to be there a little bit of time to wrestle that they're performing at their optimal best for that time. Yeah, for sure. And that's been a constant struggle for me. That that's been been frustrating. I thought the Knicks game, second one, he did really well with it. Ime, that is. This game, I thought it was back to a little bit more of that struggle. So you know, we'll have to see how that continues to go. And I mean, Scal said something similar right during the game. Like, um, I, I remember him saying, like, one of he one of the things that first year coaches really struggle with is their minutes distribution, understanding how hard you can ride a guy. And like, 
I think we've all looked at image rotations and the fact that he's running JT and JB into the ground a little bit and being like, man, what are you doing? You could throw like, Marcus and Rob in that too. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we talked about the fragility of Rob and, you know, he's been great over these last eight games. He's playing about 33, 32 and a half minutes, played 40, 41 and a half minutes last night. Like, you know, that's, that's always scary about catching up to a guy that doesn't have a great, a great track record when it comes to injuries. And I'm just like, man, I don't think, in, especially at this point in the season, like, you know, you're not even at the all-star break yet. I'm so used to the Brad Stevens, I'm going to experiment until February type of mentality that when I see somebody trying to settle into a rotation this early, I'm like, dude, you don't do that. You know what I mean? And really, mm-hmm. it's just with that used to Brad Stevens, we had years and years of it. But at the same time, the one good thing about the way Brad experimented with rotations, with lineups, with rosters was everybody was fresh yeah. all the time. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, the injuries still happen because they're inevitable, but people were fresh coming in. And I do get concerns about that. You look at it and you're like, is Tatum, you know, Tatum's not really going to get a rest over the All-Star break by the looks of things with the way the voting's shaping up. Mm-hmm. So he he's going to be in the All-Star game. So he's not resting until the end of the season. And I'm like, the more the more you play, the more stress is on your body, the more risk you have of a, a gnarly injury. So I do kind of, I am like, man, I'd just like Adoka to kind of peel back and layer or two on here. And you've got the young guys to develop and you've got a bunch of fans just on your back every game. Like, yo, yeah. play the young dudes. So it's 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 hard, man. But overall, the, whatever he's done for the last two games worked. Yeah, I mean, we've seen improvements. That, and that's what we've been begging for well, because... We- well, we've seen mild improvements. Like, I feel like, you know, like the, the things that have been driving me, you, and Greg crazy are simple things that, that he hasn't been making adjustments to. Yeah. I can and, you know, like not playing Smart and Schroeder together, just or playing them together less. Because at times with, with, you know, health and safety and the, and the way the roster is set up, like they're going to have to share the court some at some point together. That's inevitable. But in key moments and, and when you have a fully healthy team, being able to separate the two, like that's a very small thing. Very small thing that I think, you know, increases the the potential of this team that he's just been reluctant to do. And so it's little things like that, that if he can continue to build on them, it at least gives you a little bit of hope and, and can let me, you, and Greg breathe a little bit easier. I mean, I'd like that. Very much so. Very much so. I mean, I'm happy to wake up and watch victories, but I'd like to watch good victories. Not lullaby victories? Yo, put, bro, you, put, you, put you back to sleep. You wake up in the morning to fall back asleep to that game. <laughs> yeah, like, so I told you before, man, I ordered my Dunkin' Donuts coffee online. I get it delivered. You can't buy it anywhere here. So I pay in dollars. I'm paying about $19 a 500 gram bag of gram Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Hey, man. But I'm like, yeah, I want to wait. Sometimes. Yeah, dude, because I want to sit down in my, like, you know, I put my Celtics shirt on, I put a hat on or whatever. You know, I make myself feel like I'm it, sit down in my donkeys. And watch the Celtics game, and bro, I had to have like two or three cups <laughs> because I was just like drifting. Like, oh, man, it's like 10 a.m. I got a bunch of work to do, and I'm just like drifting. Like, I can't start working until I've seen the game, and this game is long. Yeah, so, it was I, a long game last <laughs> night. <laughs> I always go back to that game against the Pelicans last year that took three hours. Oh my god, that was one uh, to be honest actually you know what i think that might have been the first one of the first times that we podcasted together was around that time but that was one of the longest games like yeah. i've ever i could ever remember watching in, in nba history maybe yeah it was long dude and like i was watching this one yesterday like this one isn't as long time wise but man 
it feels like it's twice as long. It was a real just. It was, it, was about, weird, it was about three times less less entertaining than that. One. Yeah, that's, that's what, what I mean. Was. It was just a choppy yeah. flow. But you know what? Sometimes you got to be able to win dirty and win, win messy, and they managed to do that, man. So you know, uh, to quote um, the great Dominic Toretto, "Doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile, winning's winning." That's right. Now, with that, we have a bit of a different outro today because Spotify has added the ability to leave ratings on podcasts. So we're going to have to just reword things a little bit. <laughs> so if you're listening on a, a, a mobile device, then head over to whatever. Oh, it's got some music. Oh, music on, man. We can do the background of the music. It's no problem. If you're listening on a mobile device, make sure you scroll down, hit those five stars, uh, leave a nice message if you can. You know, Adam, Will, Greg, do some amazing things. We're very grateful. If you have already left a review or reviews just aren't your thing, maybe you feel like you're excluding all the other great podcasts by giving us five stars and not rating them. Well, you can either rate us all and then we are all happy. Or Will can tell you another way of supporting the show that isn't going to cost you a dime. Yeah, and I was actually trying to pull up my Spotify because I didn't know you could do that now. So I was trying to do it in live time. That was the music that you just heard. But if you're not listening that way and you want to spread the good word of the Celtics Blog Podcast, when you go to the Dunkies, when you go to your Dunkin' Donuts in the morning, you pick up your munchkins, you pick up your coffee, you pick up your bagel, make sure you tell all the employees that are working there that they need to come check out the Celtics Blog Podcast and all the patrons in there as well too. I'm sure just like Adam, they want to be just like Adam. Instead of like Mike, they want to be like Adam. They want to have their Dunkin' Donuts, watch the Celtics, listen to the Celtics Blog Podcast. Make sure y'all tune in. Check us out. Adam, Will, and Greg. We're called the Freeman Weave. Again, if you you want to watch on YouTube, head over to the YouTube channel. If you want to listen on podcast form, do that. Anyone watching on Facebook, we release Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on any of your major Apple, Apple, any of your major podcasting platforms. Everybody, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll catch you on Friday. Deuces. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrate.